Good morning. The reading is from Mark, chapter 1, and it's found on page 1003. That's page 1003. Mark, chapter 1, starting from verse 40, going on to 2, right down to 17. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a, role, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, The people heard that he had come home. So many many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was laying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. As we come to look at these encounters, let me ask you a question. I wonder, have you ever had an encounter with someone that has totally changed your life, that has changed the way that you live your life? 
And maybe that's what you were getting at with the person that you would love to have an encounter with when you were discussing earlier. Um, you may not know this about me, but I, I quite enjoy a good musical. Uh, favorite musical is uh, Les Miserables, or shortened Les Mis. I keep it simple. Um, it, I've seen it multiple times. It took me a few times to actually get what the musical was about. I enjoyed the music, I enjoyed the songs, uh, but to try and follow the storyline took me a few times of getting it. But eventually I got it. Here is um, what the story is based on. The whole crux of Les Mis is based on this encounter that Jean Valjean has with the priest. The mercy that the priest shows him when he steals from his house totally transforms his life. It changes the way he looks at himself. It changes the way he looks at other people. It changes what he wants to do with his life from that moment on. In our passage this morning, we see three encounters with Jesus Christ. Three encounters which see lives radically transformed for the better. We see the life-changing power and love of this man, Jesus. So let's have a look at these three encounters as we see through these encounters the purpose of the king, the purpose of King Jesus. So here's the first thing we see, the heart that Jesus shows, the heart that Jesus shows. We first meet a man in desperate need of help. He is quite literally begging on his knees for Jesus to do something about his situation. Because we learn this man has leprosy. Leprosy is a horrible disease that affects the skin. It eats away at the skin. It has a horrible physical impact, but it's not just the physical impact it has. It has a a massive social impact as well. Because if you suffered from leprosy, you were cast out of society. Here's how one person described it. In Jesus' time, few people were seen as more repulsive than those suffering from leprosy. Leprosy was a skin condition, and it was obvious to the sight. This disease was a social death sentence because the sufferer had to cry out, unclean, and live alone outside the community. If he ever came across someone who didn't have leprosy, he's got to shout, unclean, unclean, so people knew that they needed to avoid this man. And yet this man has obviously heard something about Jesus that draws him to Jesus. Do you see what he says in verse 40? If you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice in what the leper says there that he doesn't doubt Jesus' power to heal him. He says, you can make me clean. He trusts that this man, Jesus, can do something about his condition. But he questions Jesus' willingness. Whilst he doesn't doubt Jesus' power, He thinks he can do something. He wonders, but does he want to do something? He's maybe thinking something like, look, I know this man can do something about my state, but it's unlikely that he'll want to do something about it. I mean, it's me. Everyone just avoids me. Surely he'll just avoid me like everyone avoids me. But Jesus isn't everyone. Do you see what he does in verse 41? 
He's filled with compassion. That word is literally gut-wrenching pity. It, it's, it's being so affected by something that, that you feel it in the pit of your stomach. You feel sick to the bottom of your stomach. I wonder if you ever had that kind of feeling. Maybe you've had it as you've seen images on the TV of things that are going on around the world in recent weeks and months. Maybe you felt it this morning as you looked at the news and heard of what had happened in South Korea. When Jesus sees and hears this man, he is filled with gut-wrenching pity. He has compassion. But Jesus doesn't just feel it. He acts. Jesus reaches out with his hand. He moves towards the man, and he touches the man. This is an absolute no-no from Jesus. You see, by touching the man, Jesus is now officially unclean. You don't go near someone with leprosy. That's why they shout, unclean, so you can stay away, you can steer clear. This is maybe the first physical touch this man has felt for years. Could you imagine what that feels like? As I was looking at this passage this week, it struck me that there may be people in this room that could, some, could think something of what that could feel like better than others. I remember reading a Facebook post of a friend of mine, posted... Um, she lives on her own, posted in April 2020, and it said this, I've eaten more than 90 meals alone, and I haven't touched anyone in six weeks. Do you remember those times? Oh, how we want to forget those times. Isolation, keeping distance from other people. And so for her, she hadn't felt the physical touch for six weeks. With the power Jesus has, he could have said the words from afar, but he chooses to move towards the man and touches the man. And he answers the man, I am willing, be clean. Oh, how sweet those words must have sounded to the man. Can you imagine the hope, the joy, as he heard those words? And do you see what happens? Verse 42 immediately. There's the buzzword that we've been looking at. We've seen so many times in Mark already. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cured. It left him. He was cured. Mark says it so matter-of-factly. Instead of Jesus, who was clean, becoming unclean from the touch, no, the unclean is made clean. This shouldn't happen, but it does when Jesus is involved. It's total transformation. It's physical total transformation. He's healed, but it's also social total transformation. He's able to reintroduce himself back into society. Here is the heart of Jesus. It is full of compassion. It makes him step out. It makes him cross boundaries that so many humans are unwilling to cross. It is a heart of compassion 
that steps into this world to reach out for you. It's a heart of compassion, a gut-wrenching pity when he looks out at the brokenness of the world around us. Jesus isn't distant from the pain in the world. He feels it. He enters into it. And one day he promises to get rid of it forever. And so as Jesus here loves the unlovable, as he touches the untouchable, so I was so challenged this week looking through this passage and hopefully challenge you this morning. What will it look like for us individually and as a church to love those that society just ignores? An encounter with Jesus changes everything because the heart Jesus shows is one that is full of compassion. And then secondly, the second encounter we see shows the priority that Jesus has. The priority that Jesus has. Our second encounter is is quite a well-known passage, quite a well-known story of Jesus. Maybe you've heard it before. But I wonder if it can be a misunderstood story, or at least missing the main message that this encounter gives us. We have scenes that are similar to last week, if you remember. People have heard that Jesus has come. They pack the house. There's no room inside or outside, and he preaches. Because as we heard last week, that is why he has come. And some men arrive. They're carrying their mate who is paralyzed. He's not able to use his legs. They've obviously heard something about Jesus, his power to heal. And so they want to do something about it. But but there's no room to get anywhere near Jesus. So one of them comes up with a genius idea. Let's get him up on the roof. Let's break through the roof and let's lower him right in front of Jesus. Roofs in the first century houses would have had steps on the outside of the house uh, leading up to a flat roof which would have had uh, timber and uh, branches and sticks and clay to make the roof. And so they head up, they pull away at the roof, they make a hole big enough for the man, and then they lower him down right in front of Jesus. (laughs) It's outrageous visitor etiquette. (laughs) Yet Mark doesn't record the response of the crowds. Mark doesn't record the response of the owner of the house as he sees his roof being pulled apart. Mark just records Jesus' reaction. And here is maybe where we can miss the meaning of this this encounter. Don't miss the shock of verse 5. Because if we were there, or if we're reading this for the first time, maybe we're expecting Jesus to look down at the man, verse 5, and say, son, your legs are healed. But no, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. I wonder how you react to that. Try, if you can, take yourself back to the first time you heard this story. Or try and come at this with fresh eyes. Do you read that and go, oh, Jesus, amazing. Amazing that you've you've forgiven the man's sins. Or do you, like me, look at that and go, Jesus, you're missing the point here. He's paralyzed. He can't use his legs. Have you seen the effort his friends have gone to? Have a heart. Heal him. But I wonder if Jesus is wanting to say to me, no, 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 you're missing the point here. You see, when Jesus is faced with the man's physical needs and spiritual needs, 
Jesus identifies forgiveness of sin as his greatest need. There is something far greater than the physical healing of the paralyzed man. And so we need to know the seriousness of sin. Ignoring God in the world that he has made. Living a life without any kind of reference to him. And so know that forgiveness of sins is this man's greatest need. It's our greatest need because it fixes our greatest problem. A broken relationship with our Heavenly Father. And yet, this man's friends who went to all this effort, I'm sure think that his healing of his paralyzed legs are his greatest need. And the world around us loves to tell us that there are much greater needs for you right now. Whether it's financial security, whether it's finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright, whether it's getting up the next rung of the career ladder, about 10 years ago, I uh, went away to Uganda on a mission. Um, it was my first time outside of Europe, first time to a country or continent so different to the one I live in. And I remember being there and walking around and seeing people and go, there is a great need here physically. And yet what struck me most was meeting Christians there and seeing the joy in their Christian faith and seeing the contentment in their circumstances. There was Christians who got that their greatest need is the forgiveness of sins and so were so overjoyed to be forgiven by God. You see, the danger can be that we look at the outward issues and as important as they may be in our lives, the really serious issue is the issue with our hearts. And so whilst the crowds may be very confused by Jesus' reaction, I wonder if you notice those who are angered by Jesus' reaction in verses 6 and 7. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know what? (laughs) They're right. Well, partly right. Our sin is against God. And so only God has the right to forgive our sins. I'm one of four boys. I've got three brothers. And as I'm sure you can imagine growing up, we were perfect brothers, got on well, um, (laughs) polite with one another. Um, But just imagine if you can. My younger brother comes up to me and hits me. Could you imagine if my older brother then comes over and goes, Johnny, don't worry about it. I forgive you. I'd be raging. I'd be like, no, 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 it's not your right to forgive him. He's hit me. Only I can forgive him. Only the one sinned against has the right to forgive us, right? And so it is here. The teachers of the law rightly say, who can forgive sins but God alone? Our sin is against God, and so only God can forgive our sins. And so do you see the claim that Jesus is making in front of the crowds, in front of the teachers of the law? A claim to forgive sins. A claim to be God. Blasphemy is the teachers of the law accuse them of. 
And yet Jesus knows what's going on. He knows the thoughts of our hearts. He knows the thoughts of the hearts of the teachers of the law, verse 8. And so he challenges them, verse 9. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Which is easier to say? Surely it's the one with invisible, internal results. To say, get up, take your mat, and walk, well, everyone can see if he has the power to do that. Everyone can see if he can prove it. But to say your sins are forgiven, well, no one can prove that. So Jesus says, to prove the invisible, I'll do the visible. To prove the invisible, I'll do the visible, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. To show you my authority, that I can forgive sins, the title he uses, the Son of Man, it's taken from Daniel chapter 7, a prophecy that speaks of one to come who will have all authority over all people for all time. And so Jesus uses it regularly through his lifetime, through his ministry, to say, I am him. I am the one who's come. I am God, and I have authority to forgive sins. And so what happens? Verse 12. He got up, he took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus heals the man physically to demonstrate his authority that he can heal the man spiritually. You see, the miracle isn't the point. It's the pointer. It points us to the authority Jesus has to forgive sins. Jesus comes to show us our greatest need and shows that he is the one that can deal with that greatest need. And the people are amazed. They've never seen anyone like this. No one has, both up to this time and ever since. Another encounter with Jesus, another life radically changed. Sure, paralysis healed, but greater than that, sins forgiven, a place in heaven assured. And so, do we see our sin as our greatest problem? Do we see forgiveness of sins as our greatest need? Because an encounter with Jesus Christ can deal with that greatest need. And do you see, it's not just sins forgiven. Do you see how Jesus addressed the man in verse 5? He says, son. Jesus doesn't just provide forgiveness of sins. He does do that, but he doesn't just do that. He provides adoption into a new family. And similarly, later in chapter 5, when he turns to the woman, he calls her daughter. So listen to Jesus say, Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Welcome to my family. The heart Jesus shows is full of compassion. The priority Jesus has is the forgiveness of sins. 
And the final encounter with Jesus, we see the people that Jesus came for. The people that Jesus came for. Once again, the large crowds are gathered. Once again, Jesus is teaching. And in the midst of this, Jesus calls his next disciple, verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Notice the significance of who Jesus calls here. Levi is a tax collector. Tax collectors were notoriously regarded as corrupt. They were seen as traitors, the enemy of their people. Jewish literature lumped tax collectors alongside thieves and murderers. They were disqualified as witnesses in court. They were expelled from the synagogue. They were seen as a disgrace to their family. I mean, Jesus is building an interesting team. We saw last week he called Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen. Surprising choices, but not scandalous. But calling a tax collector? And Jesus doesn't just want Levi to follow him. Jesus wants to spend time with him, to share his life with him, to love him, and others like him. Verse 15. Jesus has dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. And to the Pharisees, this is a complete no-no. The Pharisees see this and question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? To which Jesus replies, this is who I have come for. Verse 17. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There is no doubt that Levi is a sinner. But that is exactly who Jesus has come for. When he says he has not come for the righteous, he's he's not saying that there are people who are righteous outside of Jesus. No, he's, he's pointing the finger at the Pharisees and saying, you guys who consider yourselves righteous, who don't think you have any need for me, no, you're, you're self-righteous. You're making yourself right. You're declaring yourself as righteous. Jesus has come for all people, but the Pharisees don't see their need for Jesus. They think they're all right. I wonder which camp do you fall into? The healthy or the sick? The righteous or sinners? Later on, recorded in Luke's Gospel, Jesus gives a wonderful story to illustrate these two positions. The story of the prodigal sons, maybe you know it. We have the younger son who who leaves his father, turns his back on his father, realizes what he's done, and comes back, and yet doesn't think he's good enough to return to his father. Asks him to become like one of the hired servants. And you have the older son who can't believe how his father acts, that he's prepared to take the younger son back, and he can only see all that he has done to deserve his father's honor. How do they end up? The younger son is welcomed back in, and yet the older son is left outside the house. Don't be like the older son, the teachers of the law, who think they're too good for God, who don't see their sin think they can get back in on their own merit. But also, 
don't be completely like the younger son. Because even though he comes back to his father, he doesn't think he's good enough. He says, no, I can't be your son. I should just be like one of your hired servants. But what's his father's reaction? He runs to him and opens his arms and accepts him back. Please don't think that you are too bad for God. That what you've done counts you out. That he wouldn't be interested in you. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. Why would God want anything to do with someone like me? Do you see in these encounters, that's exactly who Jesus has come for. He moves towards the outcast and the unloved, and he touches them. He calls sinners to follow him. He eats with them. He meets with them. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you're not good enough for God. Jesus welcomes you. See your sin as your greatest problem. See forgiveness of sins as your greatest need. And put your trust in him. But also, don't make the mistake of thinking you're too good for God. Jesus welcomes those who recognize their sin and their need for Jesus. And so as we finish, did you see the sad end to the leper's story in verses 43 to 45? Jesus calls the leper to show himself to the priest, the process of what you had to do to prove that you've been healed, and says, don't tell anyone about this. Because Jesus wants to reveal himself as he wants to reveal himself. He wants to ensure he's able to come and preach to people. And yet, what happens as a result of the leper not being able to keep quiet? Well, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Do you see the switch? Do you see the substitution that's gone on? The leper is on the outside of society. Jesus is in the towns and villages. But as the leper is healed, he comes back, he's got his social status back and comes back into town. But as a result, Jesus has to go out to lonely places. Jesus came to deal with our greatest problem. And to do this, a switch had to happen. A substitution had to happen. And so on the cross, as Jesus dealt with our greatest need, Jesus was cast out as his father turned his face away so we could be welcomed in, called sons and daughters. Jesus came for sinners like you and me because he needs to deal with our greatest need because he has a heart full of compassion. What a wonderful king and saviour we have. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you as we meet him on the pages of Mark's gospel. We're just struck by the wonder of what he does and what he says, by his heart of compassion that goes out to the outcast, by his priority of showing us our greatest need and showing that he can do something about it. And by the people he came for, the rejected, the sinners. Please, Lord, help us marvel at King Jesus. 
to put our trust in him maybe for the first time or to keep coming back to him and keep submitting to him as king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.